Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, oh, Father, we are so grateful for your love. And we are so overwhelmed by your goodness. Oh, thank you for how you've loved us, how you plan to love us. And thank you, thank you that you never, you never fail. Oh, speak to our hearts today. All God's people say, amen. I've never said that at our church before. I've never said that at our church before. I'm really proud of you that some of you knew what to do. The rest of you are like, what does all God's people say? There's so many things God's people could say. I grew up Southern Baptist. And often at the end of a prayer, a pastor would say, all God's people said, and everybody would go, amen. See, if you learn nothing else today, I taught you something. Uh, no, man, I was, I'm, I'm honored you're here. I was, um, I, am, I am excited you're here today. Uh, I, I, I believe God's Holy Spirit has something special for us today. Um, I don't say that often. I don't know what it means. Um, but I, I mm, my heart was moved this morning, and I'm honored, honored that you're here. Uh, if you're a guest uh, today, my name's Trey Kelly. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you. And uh, I'm pumped you're here uh, today. We are actually wrapping up a series. Uh, we started at the beginning of the year. A series called Fresh Start. And uh, if you've missed any of our series, uh, we say this in all our series, I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have it already, at some point today, uh, download our app. Uh, it's a great way to stay connected with us, but also we put our content here. And so today, if you want to go back and you want to hear where we've been, weeks one and two, you can go, you can watch week one, week two, and kind of understand how we got here. Um, the series title kind of tells you the point of the series. It's a new year, um, and... We know many people on a calendar flips. Uh, there's the way our brains are wired. You're looking for a fresh start, um, a new beginning. Things that were impossible seem possible. And so we're kind of leaning into that. And we're talking about how to change. Um, and hopefully, over the last few weeks, if you've been here, what you've learned is the key to change is to change our approach to change. Um, most of us, if you're like me, most of us typically approach change our way. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. Our way begins with an expectation. Something about my life isn't what I expected it to be. You get this, I get this, it's why we want to change. And it's not just an expectation. We're typically not where we want to be. We had an expectation that we'd be at a destination. We'd be healthier. We'd be happier. We'd be wealthier. Um, we'd have more satisfaction. We'd enjoy our job more. We'd be further along in our career. And the gap for most of us between expectation and destination in our own minds is one word. It's performance. I'm not good enough yet. 
I haven't figured out how to do it yet. I just need to try harder. And the vast majority of us, when we do resolutions, that's how we begin and that's how we end. I'm not where I want to be. And the key to getting there is for me to get better. For me to try harder. For me to find a better strategy. For me to find a better system. And we make performance the driver of everything we do. And as we've been talking about the last few weeks, it doesn't work. Because occasionally, our performance will lead us to the destination. But when we get to the destination, very rarely, if ever, does it meet our expectation. It's like we get there and the goalposts get moved. I thought this would make me happy. And now I'm here, and now i got to get there. Week one of the series, we talked about the fact that this is a performance trap. That was laid for us by our enemy as a way to deplete us by keeping us forever on that hamster wheel, never actually making progress. And so for the last few weeks, we've been inviting you, me, all of us as a church to consider laying down our way and picking up a better way, picking up Jesus's. Because where our way begins with an expectation, something about me that I don't like, that I wish were better, Jesus' way begins with an invitation. He's in charge. He's in control. He's got everything planned. And he just simply reaches out to us and says, hey, follow me. Trust me. Place your hope in me. And it's an invitation not to a destination. It's an invitation to a life of discovery. Discover what, you say? Discover the life he planned for you. See, Jesus is not only our savior, he's our creator. We're told that he designed us, he planned us on purpose and with purpose. We're actually told that there are good things he has planned for us. He's planned, we don't have to figure them out. We don't have to achieve them. He's done it. And so his invitation is to a life of discovery who he's created us to be. And rather than it being driven by performance, rather than it be driven by how good I am, how hard I can work, how much I can achieve, Jesus' invitation requires one thing, our presence. It's not performance. It's presence. It's just show up. Here am I, Lord. I'm yours today. What do you have for me? What do you have planned? What do you want for my life? That's kind of where we landed week one. And I hope, I know, I actually had some conversations. I, I know and I hope for many of you that that was a pivotal point in your life. Because the vast majority of us are driven by performance driven by achievement, either internally or externally. Either I have a standard I have to meet or I have a standard other people have to notice. And that's how we feel valuable. That's how we feel worthy. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's an invitation. You are worthy because I say you're worthy. You're valuable because I say you're valuable. I laid down my life for you. So take my invitation to discover the life I have planned. 
And all you got to do is show up and be willing to follow. If you were here last week, uh, April uh, picked out where we left off week one and did an amazing job talking about some of the things we discover in this life of following Jesus. She talked about three things. We discover our purpose, our place, and our people. Isn't it great that Jesus is already taking care of all of that? So we don't have to perform. There is a purpose for all of us. It is to love him, to follow him, and to make him known to other people. We all have a place. It's the reason God created this amazing gathering called the church, local expressions of his body. And every single person who accepts his invitation, I am convinced, will discover there is a church for them to call home. There is a place for them. And as April talked about last week, not only is there a place, there's a role. Because he's given us gifts, strengths, talents, and abilities. And our church is the healthiest when everyone who calls it home is present and is willfully operating out of the unique giftings and creation that Jesus put inside of them. So we talked about our purpose and our place last week. Today we're going to talk about our people. Because I'm convinced that part of following Jesus is discovering that there's a people for us. There's a community for us. Jesus never, ever intended for us to follow him alone. It is a personal relationship. But even during his three-year ministry, he modeled it is a personal relationship carried out in community. He had disciples who were with him 24-7, 365 for three years. He'd go away and pray, but then he was with them together, spending time with them, molding them, developing them. He'd go to big gatherings and he'd preach huge sermons. He'd do huge miracles. But then when he left, he never left alone. There was a group of people with him. And this is one of the reasons that our church, we have a core value, we talk about all the time, that we believe that circles are better than rows. Because what do I mean by that? You're currently sitting in rows. Rows are the big gathering where you're silent after you're singing and you listen and someone speaks. Well, we believe circles, smaller expressions of this, groups where you can talk and and hear from each other and connect with each other is better than this. Now, I always have to point this out. We're not devaluing this. We put a tremendous amount of work and effort and energy in this in the local gathering weekly, when we gather together, when we sing, when we, when we are able to invite people who maybe don't know anything about Jesus and they can begin to experience Jesus. We highly value the gathering. We highly value Rose. We just know life change happens in circles because that's where we get to ask questions, where we get to work it out. It's where we get to understand from other people, oh, oh, that's how it happened in your life? Oh, that's interesting. Well, this is how it happened in my life. How, how did you navigate that? How, how are you guys getting through this season? There's just something about community. Full disclosure, I have a goal today. Next week, we're going to start our sign-up process for our groups for the next semester. My goal today is to get you to simply agree to spend the week praying about joining a group. And I know when I say the word group, 
that many of you are like, well, what time does football start? If I get my phone out, will he notice? Yes, I'll notice because your face starts glowing. And it's not the Holy Spirit making it glow. But it's funny, when you talk about groups, there's a couple people in the room. Uh, There are some people in the room who are like, oh, I'm already in a group. I love my group. I can check out today. And look, if that's you, I'm honored that you love your group. I want to ask you to do a couple things for me, okay? Number one, if you're in a group and you love your group, will you spend the next 22 minutes and 22 seconds joining me in prayer that God's Holy Spirit will move the hearts of those in the room who maybe don't enjoy community? that they might take a step towards community. And number two, if you love your group, will you tell somebody about it this week? Encourage someone you know that attends our church to join a group because of how much you love your group. Because the reason you love your group and the reason you're happy with your group and the reason you return back to your group is because your group represents what we call good community. It's good. You know each other, you love each other, you support each other, you have fun. My assumption for the many people in the room who are like, groups are not for me, it's because your experience has been bad community. It was awkward. It was weird. Nobody ever showed up. Or you shared a secret and then they went out and posted it on the internet as a prayer request. (laughs) You're familiar with this. Yeah. Maybe you got there one week and you thought you were going to talk about Jesus and they tried to sell you something. And you're like, yeah, I got to get out of here. I've been doing this over 20 years. And almost 100% of the time, any person who is against joining a group at a church, it's because they've had a bad experience in a group at a church. And I I don't blame you. I have had bad experiences in groups at church. But if you notice, this is kind of a thing we do relationally, but we don't really apply it anywhere else. But, it, but it, there's this relational component that if we had a bad relational experience in the past, we're not really willing to try it again. Like if you have a great experience on the PTA, you might be willing to join the PTA again. If you have a terrible experience coaching a, a team of your kids, you're probably never going to coach again. If the day you move into your house, your neighbors bring over some muffins, and they're like, we're so glad you're in the neighborhood, it's a great neighborhood. If the day you move in your house, your neighbor yells at your son for running on his lawn, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What have we done? When it comes to relational engagement, past predicts future. If you've had a bad experience relationally, you're very leery of having another Experience and, and I get this, except we're not consistent about this. Here's how I know. Every one of you in the room have had a bad haircut. Some of you are like, been a long time since I've had a haircut. But you had a bad haircut. You didn't stop getting haircuts. Every one of us in the room has had a bad meal. You didn't stop going on meals didn't stop having meals. You've been to a bad restaurant. You didn't stop going to restaurants. Every one of us has been on a bad vacation. Some of you are thinking about that bad vacation. But it didn't stop you from going on vacations. 
what is it about relationships? What is it about these steps of being vulnerable and trying to connect with people that if we have a bad experience, we're leery of taking another step? I believe, hear me out, it's another trap. Because here's what I know is true. We need people. You can go all the way back to the very beginning of of time. God creates Adam first. No sin. God looks and says, it's not good for him to be alone. We're created for community. We're created to connect with other people. Scientifically, biologically, we need connection. It's why one of the worst forms of punishment we have on earth is solitary confinement. To remove people from people. And so while I completely and totally understand, hey, I've had a bad experience in the past. So I'm leery about having another experience. I completely understand that. I know you had a bad experience. What I'm saying is it doesn't necessarily mean the next experience will be bad. Especially if we go in with a new approach. Because let's be honest, most of us approach community relationships like we approach everything else. We approach it our way. We go in with expectations. Well, this group better do what I need it to do. I better get something out of this group. We got a destination in mind. I need four best friends after two weeks. They better invite me over for dinner. You know what? I'm glad to be in this group because I know what we're talking about. And I got a lot of things to say about this series. And I have a lot of expertise I would love to share. Oh, I can't wait. I'm expecting to go in and I'm going to share with them all my wisdom. And they're all going to say, you're the smartest person in the world. You should lead our group. Or I'm going to go to this group and we're immediately going to tell each other our deepest, darkest secrets and no one's going to say anything and no one's going to be annoying and no one's going to be an oversharer and no one's going to be an overtalker and no one's going to pray too long and no one's kids are going to be too loud and the food's going to be good. The food better be good and it's going to be on a night when it works for me, but if I need it to move, they will move it immediately because, because that's what has to happen. Expectation, destination. I'm curious, is it possible? The reason you had a bad experience, the reason I've had bad experiences is because we went in with expectations of a certain destination. And they nor we performed how we thought we should or they should. What would happen? I'm just asking, what would happen? if we approach groups Jesus' way as an invitation. Hey, I love you, and I've created you to live in community. I've created you to have friends and family around you, and if you'll trust me, I'm going to help you discover that there's a pocket. There's a people that I created just for you.
And all that's required is for you to show up and be you. Be present, don't perform. Don't try to act like you have it all together. Don't try to act like you know more. Don't read the room and say, oh, well, I've got to become like them. Just be you. And discover the people God has planned for you. I don't know some of you, you're, you're pushing back. You're like, how, how are you so sure Jesus intended for us to, to live in community? And, well, number one, uh, because the very first thing that happens after he dies is the Holy Spirit falls and a community is formed, the church. Um, and not just the big church. We're told they would gather at homes together in smaller groups and they would pray for each other and they would love each other and they would support each other. So practically speaking, it's what happened. But also, if you read the four Gospels, Jesus taught a lot. And I've been really trying to think, like... Almost everything Jesus taught really only has value when it's lived out in community. My command to love other people doesn't really impact the world until someone else feels the love. About the only thing Jesus ever taught about that is to be done in private is prayer. And that's why he literally said, go into your closet, shut your door, and pray to your Father in heaven. He, he goes out of his way to be specific. This one's in private. Just this one. Implication being everything else I'm talking about is to be lived out in community. We even see this through the early church. We see this in the letters that guys like Paul and Peter and James wrote. All these letters are instructions for how to live, not privately, but in community. In fact, I want to take you to a letter very quickly. If you were here week one, we turn to the book of Colossians. Um, because the Colossians were being told Jesus wasn't enough. They were being told they had to work harder, they had to perform more. There was a destination they had to reach. And so week one, Paul's like, no, you don't. Jesus is enough. And today I want to go to chapter three because it's as if he then turns it and says, okay, not only is Jesus enough, you have a purpose, you have a place, and you have a people. And so I want to give you some instructions for how to live that out. And as we read these instructions, it's going to be clear. These instructions were given to a group of people. And they only have value to the world. They only bless the world if they're carried out in community. Uh, so you have your Bibles. You can turn to Colossians 3, um, verse 10. If not, I'm going to have it right up here. But here's how Paul begins this section. He's talking to people who are currently Christians. So if you're here today and you're, and you're not a Christian, we're honored that you're here. Um, in fact, we, we, we designed our church for you, uh, and our hope is, is that you'll, you'll feel loved here and accepted here, and eventually you'll, you'll change your mind, and you'll, you'll place your faith in Jesus like so many of us have. Um, and when you do, or if you have, this is what we're told to do. It's kind of a broad statement. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Now, I love this because this is an invitation to discovery that only requires presence. We will be renewed by Jesus. We don't have to do the renewing. We just have to be present. We have to be open. We have to be available. And he will teach us how to become more like him. And one of the ways he, do, he does that is he begins to give us a new nature. Put on your new nature. I've been thinking about this, and it's like... Someone bought you a new coat. 
And what Jesus is, what Paul's saying here is, hey, look, when you become a Christian, Jesus takes on responsibility for providing you the new behaviors and the new attitudes. You don't have to figure those out on your own. He's going to give them to you. He's going to give you a new nature, a new way of behaving. You don't have to work for it. He's going to give it to you. But you do have to put it on. It's like if somebody gives you a new coat. You didn't pay for it. It's beautiful. But you have to decide to wear it every day. That's sort of what it means to be a Christian is as an entire life of Jesus daily saying, here's something new for you. Here's a new attribute. Here's a new area I want to heal in your heart. Here's a new step I have for you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to plan it. Here it is. But you got to put it on. And so he gives this big picture. That's what what it looks like. And then he he sort of addresses what many people feel because many people hear that and they're like, ah, not me. That might be for other people, but you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my past. There's no way I'm new. There's no way I can become like Jesus. Like, I can, I can kind of move towards Jesus at my own pace, but, but I'll never be like him. And Paul's like, look, I understand that you feel that way, but don't forget, in this new life, this new life Jesus invited you to follow, it doesn't matter. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slaver-free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. He's saying, look, all that in the past is the past. Your past was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It died there. It was paid for there. And so when, when Jesus' followers gather together, he's saying there are no differences. There are no barriers. There are no better. There are no worst. We all just represent Jesus. We just have to show up and be present. It's not about performance. We have the ability to put on everything he offers to us on a daily basis. And so then Paul turns. He says, now that this is true, here's what I want you to do. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, remember this is a part of the invitation. He invites us. You must clothe yourselves. You must put on tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, he's not saying pretend to be those things. He's saying be present with Jesus, spend time with him, Allow them to change your heart from the inside out. And in your closet, eventually you will find tenderhearted mercy. You will find kindness. You will find humility. You will find gentleness. You will find patience. And you get to choose whether or not you want to put it on. And this is why I'm convinced we're supposed to live in community. Because what is the value of you putting on kindness unless it's to bless other people with that kindness. You ever heard the phrase, the, the, the question, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, if I'm called to bless the world with kindness, but the only person I'm ever kind to is me, and I never practice that kindness in the world, how does the world get blessed? Why would Paul, immediately after he says, hey, become like Jesus, talk exclusively about behaviors we show to other people? 
It's because he assumed we would be living this life in community. And some of you are like, I'm not so sure. So let me show you what he says next. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Whoa, anyone. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. How can you make allowance for each other's faults if you aren't in community with each other? It's just a question. And I love this. Make allowance for each other's faults. You know what that means? Assume they are not going to meet your expectations. Assume they're not going to get you to the destination. Assume they won't be able to perform. Because you can't either, and I can't. So pre-decide, I'm going to put that away. And I'm going to follow Jesus, who came to earth to make allowance for our faults. For 33 years, he lived among us in our faults. And he spent time, he spent time with the disciples. If you read the Gospels, they had faults every day. But he still connected with them. He made allowance for their faults. Decide in advance, my relationship with you, as much as I care about you, is not powered by you. My relationship with you is powered by my Savior because he's created me to be in community. So when you let me down, I don't get mad at you. I go to Jesus and say, hey, they let me down. What should I do? And he'll say, I got you. Make allowance for their faults. Show them mercy. Show them grace. Love them. And then we begin to grow. And we begin to change. And we begin to come more and more and more like Jesus. I know because that's how Paul ends this teaching. He says, above all, clothe, put on something Jesus makes available. Put, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Folks, how can we put on love? How can we show love? How can we be bound together in perfect harmony if we're not stepping into community? And some of you say, well, I do this in my family. I understand that. But this is beyond family. Some of you say, I do this at work. Well, great, that is a community. But we believe Jesus has your community in your church ready to help make all these different things, all these attributes available. But it's only when we embrace one of the core values we talk about all the time, that circles are better than rows. Look, if you come here once a week, every week, 52 times a year, or 50 times a year, we take two Sundays off, and you listen as hard as you can, that's still one hour a week. What change has ever happened in your life one hour a week? See, Jesus invites us to more. He invites us to community. He invites us to a life of discovery. And here's what I've discovered about community. God teaches me more in it than I can learn outside of it. 
Because when I'm in community, not only do I see what God is doing in my life and my heart, I see what he's doing in the lives and hearts of other people. I've talked about this before. I have been incredibly blessed to have a group of men I meet with um, every other week for a long time now, long time. And Jesus has used that group to, to grow me and to mold me and to shape me in ways no other area of my life has. And almost every single time I take a big leap forward in my faith, I get a new piece of clothing that I get to put on. I learn some, some mercy. I learn some forgiveness. I learn some grace. I learn something that makes me more like Jesus. It's in that group. And it's because someone else was willing to talk about what God's doing in their life. It always begins with vulnerability. No expectation, no performance, just presence. And it typically begins with one of the guys saying, hey, guys, I'm really struggling with blank. You understand you cannot perform and also say you're struggling at the same time. <laughs> they, don't, they don't go together. It's their way of saying, hey, I'm here and I'm struggling and I'm hoping I can discover a better way. And almost every single time when someone says, hey, I'm struggling, someone else says, me too. And occasionally, that person who's also struggling might be a little further down the road. And they can say, well, here's how I've kind of navigated that. Here's what Jesus has been teaching me. And someone else will say, oh, I'm so glad you said that because this is what's happening in my life. This is what's happening in my heart. And then somebody else will say, man, I was, I was afraid to say something. But because you guys all said it, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I just feel lost. I have no idea what to do. I, I don't know. And, and again, please, it's not our group. It's the Holy Spirit who brought us together. We accepted his invitation. We chose to be present in community. In a community, he helps us discover things about him and ourselves, and we become more like him. Now, does that happen every time we gather? No. <laughs> Sometimes we gather and people can't make it, or people are late, or vacations happen, and we make fun of them when they're not there. <laughs> Sometimes we just talk about nonsense. Sometimes we talk about sports. Sometimes we talk about anything and everything. But, but it is the regular investing in community, the gathering, the being present that makes space for the Holy Spirit to help us discover what he has planned. And that's what I would tell you about community. You don't know what Jesus has planned for your life when you choose to step into your group, and your people. Here's the other thing. You don't know not just what he has for you, but you have no idea what he has for that group, a work he's done inside of you. You know, I always talk about that promise that God turns everything to good for those who love him and are caught according to his purpose. Do you know sometimes the good he does in the tragedy in your heart is to give you new muscles and to give you new words of wisdom for the group he has you planted in so that you can be their rock, you can be their anchor, you can point them to Jesus in that storm. And the amazing thing is when you get to play that role, your faith grows too. And you learn to cling to Jesus more. You learn to rest in his presence as you discover everything that he's been doing. 
So that's my pitch. We are created for community. It couldn't be clearer. It's what Jesus wants for us. And here's my prayer. That you will agree at least to pray about it this week. Hey, Jesus, would you have me take a step into community next week? That's it. That's all I want you to pray. But but you you got to listen. You can't just pray it and then run. Pray the prayer. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. But before we do, we want to share a story with you like we did last week about serving. A story of people who have stepped into community and how they've experienced blessings from it. So as you get ready to pray this week, I want you to listen to this story. Check it out. My name is Keith Cooley. And I'm Emily Cooley. Our group formed as a result of meeting people in our church and um, inviting them to serve with us. So we were part of a few different groups, and we have been in uh, a few community groups over the years. And this was a kind of a group that was picked because of how we have gotten to know each other, the ages of our families, and how we were serving together. At first, when groups form, everybody kind of needs to try to get to know each other and get comfortable. But we just kind of developed a pattern and a routine of doing life together. We serve together. Uh, Everybody that is in our community group actually serves as part of the exact same team. We kind of share roles within the community group. You know, we take turns leading, uh, take turns, you know, with locations and, and even, you know, including kids or not including the kids sometimes. We do things outside of just going over curriculum. We'll have certain events that we do together. Uh, the guys have even jumped out of a plane. We went and skydived together. So it's those little moments too that kind of help form the bond between everyone as a whole. It's kind of pushed all of us to the next level um, continuously over the years in our faith, in um, our roles in the church, in the things that we do with our children. Mm-hmm. Um, we discuss things about what's going on at church, but a lot of stuff about what's going on in our personal lives. And, you know, at times, different um, families and different members of our group have had great struggles. And we've all been there to support each other and encourage each other in every way imaginable. It's also, it's not just the adults, but even the kids get to have time together. That There's a, there's a bond there with them also. Um, you know, our oldest kids in the group are in high school down to preschool. And, you know, it's, it's a good way for us to kind of model and help each other with raising kids, taking care of kids, and, um, you know, just doing this life together. I think we all have this desire to try to be better and do better in the group. Um, we all we definitely love being a part of Wellspring and, and serving, but even when we're together, there's just sense of you know we're we're working together, we're trying to figure things out, we're trying to communicate in a way where it just it, it works because we're we're different, but we also feel like we have this group that you know other people could really benefit from if they found their place, if they found their group. The group of people that you might not have ever met, but that you have so much in common with. You might not talk to them every single day, um, but they are the people that are the roots and the, the, the strength in your life. Like they are the ones that are gonna circle around you and push you to be a better person. You just have a common bond and a foundation that's different than anything else that we get to do in life right now. Anybody who is thinking about starting a community group, I would say stop thinking about it and just do it. 